So this morning, we are continuing on with our series of The Hard Way, following Jesus' sermon uh, in Luke's Gospel, often referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. And we're talking some about, uh, last week, about this hard way that Jesus has given us. He talked about loving our enemies. And we were uh, talking about how difficult that is, how supernatural that is, how that requires grace from God for us to do that. And we were talking last week about how prophetic that is in our in our uh, culture right now. We live in a culture that uh, where people actually prefer rather to hate enemies and to curse them, those who curse them, and to uh, those who mistreat to mistreat them right back. And how prophetic it is for us as followers of Jesus to bless when people curse us, to pray for those who mistreat us, to do good to those who hate us. So we're talking about that and how appropriate, how needed that is in our community, in our culture right now. And then this week I started reading and, and, and our, kept reading, kept studying the, the passage about uh, do not judge. It actually begins with be merciful as your father is merciful. And I was thinking about how hard this is. Not in the sense that we want to be judgmental, but in the sense that there's something broken in us as people, as humans. There's something broken in us, something sinful, that constantly wants to view ourselves like this in terms of our righteousness and our worthiness and our holiness. We, we want to believe it's, uh, we have this halo effect of ourselves, this halo, halo uh, impression that I'm actually, I'm actually kind of pretty good, God. You know, you're kind of lucky to have me on your team, right? <laughs> we have this sinful desire to think like this or to make ourselves or think of ourselves this way. And at the same time, we also have this sinful desire to hold others below us. Out of brokenness, out of insecurity, out of pride. That, you know, I'm sure glad I'm not like them. I'm sure glad I'm not like that person. Hopefully they'll figure it out someday and they'll get to my level, but I'm sure glad I'm not like them. We have this brokenness in us. We have this tendency to judge others. And by judge, I don't mean like kind of weigh it out. I mean like condemn. We have a tendency to condemn others. And as I'm studying this week, I'm thinking, Lord, how do I avoid this? How do I keep from making this prideful mistake? And I'm under, I know some of you wrestle with the same question, right? We see it. I mean, we see Christians that we know, people that we know who say they follow Jesus, and yet we see the way they look down on others or the ways that they condemn others, or think themselves um, self-righteous and better than others. What do we say to people that we know or that we care of, that care about who are acting like that? What do we do to avoid it ourselves or when we realize that I'm doing this? What do we do? That's why I love the Word of God. The Word of God continues to speak to our lives. In this text that was written, uh, the New Testament at least 2,000 years ago, still speaks to us just as well today as it did then. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verse 36 to 32, or it's also the inside of your bulletin. Um, and again, this isn't, if you look at the, the way that the passage is laid out, again, that's not how it's laid out, like in your Bible, for example, but I thought it was helpful to see how the parts fit together. So it begins with 30, or verse 36, it says, Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, 
and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And he, Jesus, also told them this parable. Can a blind man, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me help you take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let us pray that we'd hear God's word this morning. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, we praise you for the things you have taught us, that we have this record of your teaching, Lord, that you gathered with people gathered around you, Lord, on a, on a level spot, on a plateau, and you gave these words to people who were wanting to follow you, to know how to follow you well, how to live as kingdom people. Lord, we desire this to help us hear it this morning. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. So this passage begins, uh, or this section of this of Jesus' sermon actually starts with 30, verse 36, where he says, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. It's a guiding statement for the whole part that we're studying this morning. And it's interesting because it's actually the, the last verse from last week. Uh, we preached on this verse, I preached on this verse as well. I included it with the section before about uh, loving your enemies. And this is, uh, it sort of summed up that whole um, passage of, of being merciful just as your father is merciful. But it also sums up this passage that we're talking about, about being merciful. And it's, uh, it's one of those hinge verses, they call it, where it sort of sums up the part before it, but also gives a summary of the part coming next. and shows how the two fit together. But Jesus says, as we talked about it last week, he says, be merciful as your father is merciful. And he's talking about our father in heaven about how merciful God is. And we were talking about, and I, and I was talking about the, the letter that, that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And he's telling them, he says that while we were still, like trying to explain them God's love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ, our Savior, our Messiah, died for us. He said that not only were we still sinners, he talks about, we were actually, while we were even enemies with God, he loved us so much that he died for us, that he sent his son to die for us. That we could be saved, that our sin would no longer separate us from God, that we would be reconciled, that we'd be given life eternal. And life eternal that begins right now. And important uh, meaning in life and purpose in God's mission, God's kingdom and his creation. This is how much God loved us, even while we were still sinners, even while we were still rebelling against him. God sent his son to save us. This is our model of mercy. Jesus is saying, be merciful like God, like God our Father, like the way he's merciful to people who don't deserve it. And that's an important thing for us to remember because sometimes after following Jesus for a while, we can forget that we didn't deserve it. And sometimes in our worst moments, we can even begin to think, you know, Actually, God, you made a pretty good call in bringing me on board. <laughs> it's pride. And we have to be really careful all the time. 
No, longer, no matter how long we've been a Christian, we can, we can still fall prey to it. Even if we've been a Christian for a year, I remember prideful times in my life, even when I was a new believer, and I still see it in people who've been following Jesus for decades, thinking that they've arrived, that they've got it sorted out. So let us love, or let's be merciful as our Father is merciful. The way that He's merciful, the way that He loved us when we didn't deserve it. And I was thinking about how God has given us a track. He's given us a pathway through this. Footsteps to follow, if you will. An image, a vision of what we are supposed to be like. Like our Father in Heaven. Merciful. Well, then He starts, then Jesus comes and He, ta- and he comes and he approaches it from the other angle. He says, do not judge. And he says, do not condemn, or, or, as, or you will not be condemned. And what he's, I'm realizing that actually these two things, uh, do not judge and do not condemn, are actually two ways of saying basically the same thing. Now, the first one is judge. And, <clears throat> and uh, in the ancient world, and like the, even the way that we use judge, it can mean to, to make a, an evaluation between two things, which isn't necessarily good or bad. Um, you can make an evaluation that this is how this thing works or this is what's happening in this person's life and it's good or bad. I don't think Jesus is talking about that. What he's talking about is judging. Is the, word is, the Greek word is krino. Um, is often in the ancient world, it had kind of taken on the connotation of condemnation. So judging with the implied result is that you would be condemned at the end. And so as you read it in scripture, uh, this word krino, uh, to judge or to discern between, a lot of times it's used just to mean condemn. And so that also fits with the context here because Jesus says, do not condemn and do not pronounce a sentence over someone. And it fits with scripture as well, the way Jesus taught uh, throughout his ministry to not be judgmental of people. And I think the biggest thing here is to remember the reality is that he's telling us not to judge One, because it's bad for us. It's horrible for our pride. But also because we are not qualified. Let me say that again. Do not judge because we are not qualified. I mean, think how many times you have thought, you've looked at someone, you thought, oh, like what a horrible situation or what a horrible person or something like that. Only to come to find out later that actually we had no idea what was going on or why they were doing what they were doing and actually what they were doing is actually really good or faithful. And we completely made the wrong assumption about them. We are not qualified to judge, to to condemn anyone, to make evaluations about someone and say they are not worthy of God's grace. We are not qualified. So Jesus says, do not judge. And I, have, I want to say one point here, because this is one of like the most uh, abused passages in Scripture. Do not judge, as, and you will not be judged. And what I mean by that is often I hear people, Christians and non-Christians, who will throw this verse in a Christian's face or someone's face when they question what they're doing. And not like in a condemning way, but to say, you know, I care about you, but what you're doing is wrong. And then they'll say, well, you know, I thought you were a Christian, do not judge or you'll be judged. And that's, that's really a smokescreen. <laughs> it's, a, it's a way of, for someone usually who is pretty uh, prideful in their sin, who has no intent of doing it any differently, and is just trying to go on the attack, just trying to take Scripture and turn it around on a person, a Christian who maybe is even trying to do them good. 
and, and as a way to shut them down, to stop the conversation. It's an abuse of scripture because Jesus encouraged us. I mean, if you think about Matthew in chapter 18, when uh, Jesus says, you know, when your brother sins against you, go and speak to him. The, the assumption being there is that when someone does something wrong to you, you go and you, you talk with them about it. And I was thinking also in Second uh, Timothy, when Paul is speaking to Timothy in his letter, and he says the word of God is, is um, uh, sorry, <laughs> the word of God is God-breathed. It is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. The word of God is good for these things. And those things, um, like rebuking and correcting, <laughs> that's speaking honestly with people. So I don't think, you know, when people use this, even Christians, when they use this passage as a way to, to basically shut you up, if you've questioned something they've done, even something sinful, that's abusing the text. That's abusing what Jesus actually said. So, I mean, there's not much we can do if someone uses this passage and says, you know, basically as a way to say, shut up, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and you have no right to question what I'm doing. Well, I mean, we can pray for them. We can say, like, I think maybe you're using that passage wrong, but at that point it's probably not so helpful. But let us never do that. Let us, this church family, never use this passage to short-circuit someone who's trying to help us, who is just speaking honestly, truthfully with us in love that we wouldn't just throw this passage in their face because we actually kind of like the sin that we're doing and we don't want anybody to challenge us. That's an abuse. But that said, Jesus is speaking this passage as a way to challenge the people who, who as we've been talking about earlier, are self-righteous. People who think they've got it all figured out. Who maybe do, like, relatively speaking, they do a pretty good job of, of keeping certain rules, of following certain things about being a Christian. And then they become judgmental of others or condemning of others. Jesus is saying, don't be like that. That's what he's saying, do not do. Because one, it's bad for us. The more we do that, the, the, more, uh, the more our pride grows. And the more our pride grows, the harder it is for us to, to receive God's grace. The harder it is for us to live faithfully. So the more condemning we are, the more our pride grows out of control, like, like a cancer. Not only that, but it also does damage to the people that we are condemning, that we have no business condemning, to the people who feel shame, to the people who, there are people maybe, well, not maybe, there are people who have, um, heard a Christian say to them to judgment or be judgmental of them, and then they think, you know, I can never come to a church. I'm just, I know, like, I don't fit in there. And subtext being there is someone told me that I'm not good enough, so I guess I'll just find some, I'll find help somewhere else. So when we are condemning, when we are judging of others, judgmental of others, it hurts us and it hurts them. So Jesus is saying, don't do this. Don't ever do this. Don't judge others. Don't condemn them. We're not qualified. We don't know the whole story. It's damaging for us and it's certainly damaging for the person we condemn. With me? Okay. So then he goes on to, then he comes at it from the other angle and he says, actually, give, actually, forgive. Uh, as I was studying it, the way I was translating, was hearing it, was um, set free. 
So there's in, in the uh, ancient world, in Jesus' time, uh, to forgive and to set free. There's a lot of overlap there between those two words. But um, in your text, it says, forgive. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And then he says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure. Press down, shaken together, all the loose spots shaken out, all the cavities, all the little nooks and crannies shaken together and overflowing. And not just overflowing a little bit, but like overflowing into your lap. Overflowing. The measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, <clears throat> when I've read this, I've often, often thought of, of when, he, when Jesus says give and it will be given to you, I've often thought in, in material things. You know, if you give money or if you give stuff to people, it will be given back to you. I don't think, as I've reflected on this, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying right here. I don't think he's talking about stuff or material uh, wealth or anything like that. I think he's actually talking about grace because of the whole context of what he's been saying through this whole sermon. Give grace and it will be given to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken all the loose spots, shaken out all the little nooks and crannies, shaken together and overflowing, overflowing into your lap. And I started thinking, how much better is that actually? <laughs> the money is God's grace overflowing into our lap. And the image of this is, I mean, if you think of like in a market, um, I, I have never had to do this and most of us haven't, um, but going to buy grain, you know, to make flour, uh, wheat, and you'd get it, you'd actually get the kernels in a, in a basket, you know, and they fill it up and, you know, you can imagine if you just fill it up a little bit and there's still like, you know, a half inch margin around the edges, you know, like you don't want you to spill it on your way. Well, that's not a whole measure. But a full measure, you can imagine someone, they take your basket and they fill it up and then they pack it down and then they shake it together so that all the little spaces are filled in with more and then they add more on top. And they keep adding it, not until you have like this nice little margin so you don't spill any, but actually that it's mounded up in your basket. Your basket's like this, and it's just piled. And it's piled so high that it starts to fall down. It's like this avalanche of, of grain uh, into your lap, everything, all over the place. That's the measure that God is talking about here. That's the measure that Jesus is talking about. So when we give grace, God gives grace back to us, a good measure, more than we even expected. And I was thinking about this, and I hear Jesus to say it the other way around, is for us, as followers of Jesus, people whose lives have been changed by God's mercy and God's grace, for us to never be accused of being stingy with grace. For us to never get this huge basket overflowing into our laps all over the floor and then to find someone and say, you know what, I could give this little grain to you, but I don't think so. I don't think you deserve it. Let us never be stingy with grace. And I was thinking about, like, you know, grace, and I was, um, I was thinking about this um, song uh, by Ben Harper talking about I'll Rise, and he, you know, and it's, it's a whole social commentary, but he talks about having an oil well, you know, like, you wonder why I'm smiling, like, I've got an oil well pumping in my living room. And I was thinking about this image of us, I mean, oil well doesn't quite work, but like a well of grace, <laughs> if, you've got, if you follow with me, <laughs> this well of grace pumping in our living room just a gusher all the time. We have so much grace in our lives that we couldn't give enough away. Let us live like that. Let us be recklessly 
generous, like, like a person who's gone crazy because they win the lottery and they're just throwing money as they go down the street. Let us be that way with grace. Let us be like that with grace. That we see people and they, um, they are happy to see us because of the grace that we give them, the mercy that we show them, like the mercy that our Father has shown us. And it's interesting because there's this feedback loop. Jesus talks about it. As you give, it will be given to you. The measure you use will be measured to you. And so I'm thinking, (laughs) let us give it away. Let us be more gracious because God said, Jesus said, every time we give grace, we will receive grace. I want to be careful because maybe some of you are thinking, like, does that mean like my salvation is based on grace? I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I think he's talking about grace in a sort of different context, different understanding. But it's still good. It's still important. The more grace that we give, the more reckless we are, the more generous we are with grace, the more grace we will receive. And I was thinking about it. You know, I wish that we as evangelical Christians had a reputation for grace, for forgiveness. And it's hard right now in our culture um, I don't think we do. I mean, maybe on a personal basis and maybe in this community, but generally speaking, as evangelical Christians, we don't have a reputation for grace. You know, if you, I don't know, I think one time I Googled it. Actually, I read an article, and if you Google, why are Christians so, and if you don't fill it out, it comes back, it automatically populates it with judgmental. Which, I mean, it's neither here nor there, but the point is that generally, most people think of us as Christians, evangelical Christians, as being judgmental and condemning, not gracious. And I want to be honest, because some of that, I think, is brokenness of people. <laughs> you know, sometimes people receive us saying, you know, I, I, I don't know, drunkenness, for example. I think drunkenness is bad for us. I mean, I see the implications of it. I mean, I, I, don't know if you, I don't know if I said this before, but my dad, he drank all the time. I mean, qualified as an alcoholic. And I see the damage it caused in our family. And even in scripture, like Paul, encouraging the church, don't get into drunkenness. All sorts of horrible things happen with that. Many of us know from experience. So it's for us to say, you know, like alcoholism or, or drunkenness, it's just, it's not good for us. Why we don't do it, it's why I encourage you not to do it. Uh, speaking to a non-believer. You know, sometimes people hear that which is well-meaning, and it's not prideful, it's not self-righteous, it's just speaking honestly and truthfully and lovingly, actually. And they receive that as judgment <laughs> because of their own issues. And then they take that wrongly, and then it's, you know, and so then they say, well, you're just being judgmental. So there is some of that. I want to acknowledge that. But we also know Christians, even sometimes ourselves, we see it in ourselves, when we are judgmental of people. I mean, I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to have this all figured out and I see the times when I'm judgmental. Lord God, please forgive me. But I dream, I pray that we would be known as a people of grace. And when people think of Christians, if they're going to dismiss us or, or um, degrade us, that they would degrade us for being too merciful not for being too judgmental. I pray that they would do that. So Jesus is speaking to this group of people gathered around them, and he says, be merciful as our Father is merciful. That's 
the, the kind of the summary of the whole thing. Don't judge. Don't judge. It's bad for us. It's bad for the people we judge, and we are not qualified. But actually give. Give grace. And the measure you give, it will be measured back to you actually more. It will be this basket overflowing, falling all over, filling up your lap, falling all over the floor. Grace. Be reckless and generous with grace. And then he keeps going to kind of develop it, to kind of fill it out a little bit more. He said, he tells a parable. He said, um, this is a parable about, the, you know, a blind person cannot lead a blind person. They both fall into a pit. And a teacher is, or sorry, a student is under his teacher, but if you spend time with your teacher, you'll become like them. And his point is, be mindful of the people that we're following. You know, in Jesus' day, there were teachers. There were people who were looked up to as uh, religious leaders. And he had a lot of run-ins with them. You know, some of them were faithful people. They recognized Jesus as the Messiah and they began following him. But many of them, uh, like in the scriptures, are often referred to as the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees, they, they were the religious leaders, kind of the, the grassroots. They were like the, the church pastors, if you will. They weren't like the high up, um, high priests or anything. Like They were the people who lived among the people. And they were the ones that Jesus is saying, uh, don't be like those sort of teachers. So they, he says, you Pharisees, actually in Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus says, you Pharisees, you pile these things up on people's backs. You pile up all these rules and all these traditions on people's back and you don't even lift a finger to help them. He's saying, don't follow these sort of teachers. These people who try to make themselves feel more righteous by making sure that everybody else feels less righteous. Understand what I'm saying? Don't follow the teachers like that because you'll become like them. I think the implication, the other side of this, you read this whole sermon of Jesus, is that actually be more like him. He's the teacher in this, uh, this sermon, the sermon on the plain, teaching like a rabbi. And he's the one that we are meant to be like. So be careful of the teacher you follow. And then he says this next parable. He says, why do you concern, get yourself concerned about the speck in your brother's eye when you don't see that you have this plank in your own eye? And the speck that he's talking about is like a, piece of sawdust or something like The plank that he's talking about is actually referring to like a main beam in a house. So why are you worried about this tiny little speck in your brother or sister's eye when you have a beam like this in your own eye? And I've been thinking about this some, and he's referring back to the don't be judgmental of people. Because one, you're not qualified, like as we've already talked about. You've got this beam in your eye, and they've got just a tiny speck. How are you going to see to help them with it? But I started reflecting on it too about what this beam might actually be. And this is just my kind of reflection, kind of uh, guess at it. But this beam in our eye, I think, is when we get so concerned about specks in other people's eyes, that this beam is actually in our eyes actually pride, self-righteous pride. And he's saying take care of that self-righteous righteous pride because then maybe you might actually be helpful. When you've got a beam like this in your eye, when you've got this huge, massive, self-righteous ego, you're no help to anyone. Even when you try to say, you know what, you've got this speck in your eye, you can't help but say it in a way that makes them feel like uh, they are below you, that they have no chance with God. So he's saying, fix this plank in your own eye, this huge main beam, your pride, your self-righteous pride. Deal with that first before you try to help anyone. And it's good for us to help others. 
I mean, that's what part of community, part of Christian community, that's one of the things why it's so valuable. Because we can get ideas in our head. I can get ideas in my head. You know, I think that actually I'm really this awesome. And we need someone to say, you know, Jason, you are God's child and he loves you, but you are not that cool. <laughs> and what you're doing is not actually faithful. Or the other way of saying it, what you're doing, Jason, I think is sinful. I'm grateful for my wife, Tracy. <laughs> She's great at that. She's honest, but she speaks the truth in love. As Paul spoke to the church in Ephesus, let us speak the truth to each other, but in love. That will help us to make sure that we don't start trying to help people with specs when we've got these giant beams in our eyes. Okay, so Jesus tells this parable again to come back around to say, don't be judgmental of others. Actually, be really merciful. Be merciful like our Father is merciful. And I started thinking, like, how do we do this? What are some ways that we can do this? And the first thing that I was thinking, these are just suggestions for you. One is that you read the Gospels and watch how Jesus treats people, especially the people that everyone else in their whole society thought were dirt, had no chance of ever being reconciled to God, were outcasts. Watch how Jesus treats them. I think about the woman who had bleeding for 12 years. So in her culture... She was untouchable. So there was something unclean about her of a condition she had no control over. And yet she touches Jesus, and Jesus is gracious with her. Or what about the woman who washes Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears at that dinner, at that Pharisee dinner? And they're all looking back and they're like, if he knew who was touching him, he would not be letting her do that. And yet Jesus talks about her faithfulness, and she is the one who will be remembered in Scripture, in history. And she is to this day. We know that story. What about Zacchaeus, right? This task culture. Everyone else wrote him off. He's just a traitor. He's no good. He's part of the enemy. And he's just trying to see Jesus. And Jesus comes to him. So he climbs up into a tree and Jesus comes to him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. How gracious is that? I mean, there's story after story. The woman at the well who's been married and is actually now living with a guy who's not her husband. And how gracious Jesus is with her. She becomes the missionary of that town. She goes and, I mean, who knows how many people come, came to faith that day because of what Jesus was doing, how gracious he was being with her. So one, watch Jesus' stories. Learn from him. He's our teacher, right? Teacher, our student is always under their teacher, but the more time you spend, time, more time you spend with him, the more you'll be like them. So one, read Jesus. Watch how he treats people. The second is Repent. You know, what a prophetic thing to do in this day and age to say, Lord, forgive me, and I was wrong. What I was doing wasn't right. I mean, we live in a time where nobody, people hate to say that. In fact, our culture finds so many different ways to say, well, you know, it's not that I was wrong, it's just that this is what's my idea, this is my idea of what's right. We have all sorts of ways to defend ourselves, to justify ourselves. One of the ways that we deal with self-righteousness is to repent. And we have to be careful. Actually, it's, I mean, it's just a, uh, an indication of how broken we are. We have to be careful with how we repent. <laughs> because we can do that because we know that that's what pious people do is they repent. So we can say, you know, Lord, please forgive me. I know I, I'm having a hard time of thinking what it actually would be, but please forgive me because I know that that's what pious people do. We can even become prideful in our repentance. But to genuinely repent, Holy Spirit, show me the places that I have hurt people 
places that I have rebelled against uh, my Father in heaven, and the times that I've done things that are wrong. Help me to see it in your word. So repentance. So reading Jesus, watching how he treats people, especially the people who were uh, broken, people who everyone else thought they were a lost cause, watch how he treats them. Repent. Spend time asking, Lord, please forgive me. Show me what I've done against you and against others. And then the third is give thanks. Give thanks to God. Reflect on how gracious then he's been to us. Because I, I, I absolutely believe that when we begin to even get an idea, just a sense of how gracious God has been with us, how undeserving we were, we are of God's grace, it will be impossible for us to be self-righteous or condemning of others. Okay, so watch Jesus, repent, and then give thanks. And then be generous. Be recklessly generous. Be foolishly generous with grace and mercy for others. Imagine what this begins to look like in our community. Imagine as we, as Christians, at least as far as it is up to us, the, the family, the, the Christian, the church family of this church here, as far as it's up to us, let us be known as the crazy, merciful people. Let us be known not as like, well, you know, the judgmental, none of that. We be, have a reputation that the Balfour Covenant Church family have a reputation for being the most merciful, the most gracious people we have ever met. And there's times, true, like, man, like I, one of them, they, they spoke the truth to me, but I knew they loved me. I knew they cared about me. Let that be our reputation. When we meet with our friends, when we meet with our neighbors, that we speak the truth in love. When we speak about politics with people or we talk on Facebook, let people say, you know what? I would love it, actually, if people said, you know what? You're too gracious for your own good. <laughs> let them say that about us. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Give, and it will be given back to you. Grace, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing in our lap. Let us be gracious with people. Amen.